0: to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: Many of the Jews wanted to Hellenize. They wanted to become Greeks. They were no longer interested in the promises that the prophets had made. They had lost hope in any future Messianic kingdom, and so they were happy to just be part of this new Greek empire that had taken over and was continuing to expand in the region.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Daniel chapters 11 through 12. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All
1: right, we are going to finish Daniel. And we left off last time by just, we did chapter 10, and then we looked at just the first few verses of chapter 11. And so we're going to take kind of a a quick flyover of the 11th chapter up to verse 35, and then we'll slow it down when we get to verse 36 on through the remainder of Daniel, the child chapter there. So so if there was ever a place where you could see prophecy as history in advance, I mean, that's been a definition that has sometimes been used regarding predictive prophecy. It's, it's the future in advance. It's telling you the future before the future comes. It's here in Daniel 11 that this is seen in such a just amazing way, really. And as we talked about before, because of the minute detail that's given in this 11th chapter. There have been many who have rejected this as a prophetic word and tried to say it basically is just a record of history that was written by some pseudo-Daniel in the 2nd century rather than the Daniel that we believe lived in the 5th century B.C., So the first 35 verses cover events that are going to take place from the time Daniel is receiving this word from the angel in the the 530s BC through the reign of Antiochus IV, also known as Antiochus Epiphanes and he died in 164 BC. So verses one through four, we've, we kind of touched on them, like I said previously. But verses one through four cover the period between the rule of Persia, the rise of the Greek empire under Alexander the Great, his death and the division of his empire under his four generals. That's, that's verses one through four. Verses 5-35 through are a detailed account of the wars and intrigues between the Seleucid kings in the north, up in the area that we would know today as Syria, but much broader than that. So the Seleucid kings in the north and the Ptolemaic kings in the south, their base would have been in Alexandria in Egypt with Israel stuck right in the middle and often subjugated by one or the other. So, so that's what's being covered in verses 5 through 35. And so there's, there's all of this intrigue. There's these battles back and forth. And it's really a, a very fascinating history, And, you know, if you were a person who really wanted to study the history of that part of the world, this would be an important passage to really dig down in and to look at it as it's connected beyond, I mean, our primary interest and Daniel's primary interest is how these things affect Israel, but it it goes much further than that. So I mentioned this last time. There are just a few interesting kinds of things that I wanted to point out in this section. Just almost uh, kind of like some, in a sense, some trivial sort of facts, but points of interest. And I mentioned last time the name Cleopatra. We talked about Cleopatra. Now, the Cleopatra, there is in this passage in the 17th verse, a reference to a woman who would be Cleopatra, but she would not be the Cleopatra that we know more more famously or made famous by Elizabeth Taylor, <laughs> right? I was thinking Liz Burton. Well, she was married to Richard Burton, right? But she was Elizabeth Taylor. Um, but this would be actually her ancestor. She would be in a sense Cleopatra the first. and she's referred to in verse 17 and it's talking about the intrigue that's going on between these two different kingdoms and these kings. And verse 17 says, he will determine to come with the might of his entire kingdom, will make an alliance with the king of the south, and he will give him a daughter in marriage in order to overthrow the kingdom, but his plans will not succeed or help him. So this particular king of the north, Antiochus III, he gives his daughter in marriage to the Ptolemaic king thinking that she is going to sway the kingdom in his direction but she gets pulled actually in their direction and sides with the Ptolemies against her father but her name was Cleopatra and so she lived about a hundred years before the Cleopatra of Julius Caesar and Mark Anthony fame. But the Cleopatra that's more famous in secular history was undoubtedly named after her. So second thing, Antiochus IV, and and this is the person we're going to We've already talked about Antiochus the Fourth, Antiochus Epiphanes, who, as we saw in the eighth chapter, he's he's prophesied in the eighth chapter, and we saw how he becomes a picture of a future ruler, and so we're going to see that exact same thing again here in a moment. But an interesting incident occurred, and it's recorded in verse twenty-nine. And this has to do with Antiochus, who had, again, he, you know, this battle going on between these northern, the northern power and the southern kingdom, Uh, he had gone to Egypt and he had been victorious. And he had taken a ton of spoil from Egypt and he made his way back up to the Seleucid kingdom and and on his way he he would oftentimes just harass israel as he would go through israel and so it tells us in verse 28 it says the king of the north that's antiochus the fourth will return to his own country with great wealth so he's coming back from egypt but his heart will be set against the holy covenant He will take action against it, then return to his own country. So he has this victory over the Egyptians. He gathers this great wealth. He's going back. But he has a a real animosity toward the Jews in Jerusalem. And so he kind of wrecks havoc on Jerusalem on his way back to the north. At the appointed time... He will invade the south again. But this time, the outcome will be different from what it was before. So he's going to go basically and seek to do the same thing. But the outcome, as it says, is going to be different. So here's what happened it says in verse 30 ships of the western coastland will oppose him, and he will lose heart so the septuagint the greek translation of the old testament where it reads here ships of the western coastlands says the romans so this is where the romans are beginning to come into their own as a as a power and so antiochus is going to go back down and ransack egypt but now the egyptians have solicited the help of the Romans. And so the Roman general meets Antiochus as he's on his way to Egypt and essentially says to him, don't go to Egypt because if you do go to Egypt, we will go to war against you. And Antiochus, you know, this is an extremely proud, ruler, a very evil guy, and a guy that's not used to being told no or what to do. So he says to the Roman general, he says, well, I have to go have a conversation with my uh, men, and we'll come back and give you an answer. And this Roman general drew a circle around Antiochus and said, you will answer me before you step out of the circle. And Antiochus conceded at that point and now goes back to the north. But look what it says it says, then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the holy covenant. So so this is the time now as he goes back this is the time where he really comes against the Jewish priest in Jerusalem. This is where he comes against the covenant. This is where he stops the daily sacrifice. This is where he has a pig slain on the altar. This is where he forbids the Jews to worship Yahweh and now commands them to worship the Greek gods. So this all happens at this time. And so it says his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Or another translation reads, the people who know their God will do great exploits. So this is where the Maccabeans come into the picture. So remember, we talked about Judas Maccabeus. We talked about the family of the of Harkannus and how Maccabeus means the hammer. And so Judas, he kind of gets that reputation. He's leading the charge against this Seleucid army and they eventually drive them out. But before they do that, Antiochus leaves Jerusalem and goes to Persia, and in Persia, he dies. Remember that. He dies in Persia shortly after these events here in Jerusalem. So then it says, Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. So this was a long drawn out conflict with the forces of Antiochus. When they fall, they will receive little help and many who are not sincere will join them. So it was at this time as well that many, many of the Jews wanted to Hellenize. They wanted to become Greeks. They were no longer interested in the promises that the prophets had made. They had lost hope in any future Messianic kingdom. And so they were happy to sign up and just be part of this new Greek empire that seemed to be taking over or had taken over and was continuing to expand in the region. So there were many that betrayed the covenant, and joined in with Antiochus and his forces. But there was that smaller band known as, again, the Maccabeans who eventually drove them out. And so verse 32, as I said, is a reference to the Maccabees, the people who know their God will resist him. Now, so as we come to verse 35, it says this. It says, some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will come at the appointed time. So all of a sudden, the angel reveals to Daniel, these things that are happening in the context of the time of the end. And so verses 35 and 36 are one of those places in Scripture where there's no indication in the text that there is a gap of time, but there is a gap of time. We have the same thing back in the ninth chapter where we have the the 69 sevens, and then, you know, it's talking about the events that are going to transpire at the end of the 69 sevens. And then suddenly it just moves into the 70th seven without any indication that there's any time, any significant amount of time between the 69 sevens being fulfilled and the final 70th seven being fulfilled. But maybe you remember a while back. When, I think it's when we were in the eighth chapter, we were talking about how sometimes Scripture does that. And I gave the example of the prophecy from Isaiah chapter 61, the prophecy that Jesus read in the synagogue in Nazareth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to give sight to the blind, deliverance to the captives, and so forth to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, Jesus stops there. But the prophecy in Isaiah goes on and says, and the day of the vengeance of our God. Jesus came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. We are still in the acceptable year of the Lord. The day of the vengeance of our God is yet to come. But again, as you looked at the prophecy before Jesus declared that he was fulfilling it, you you would not have known that there is a gap, a time period. And so that's exactly what we have here between verses 35 and 36. And so we're talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, but now suddenly we're talking about a different person at a different time in history. And... The reason I told you to remember that Antiochus died in Persia shortly after the sacking of Jerusalem and all of that is because the things that are going to go on and be said about this person now, who some people say, oh, this is still referring to Antiochus. No, it's not. It can't possibly be because Antiochus did not do any of the things that it says that this person will do, he's dead. He's long dead and gone, but something else is happening here. So again, we have these near fulfillments and then we have these far fulfillments of the prophetic word that God gives. And I think we even mentioned that just the whole idea of, you know, Abraham, the seed of Abraham and how the seed of Abraham it, it seemed that there was a fulfillment of that promise given to Abraham at the birth of Isaac. But then we find that, no, it, it goes out further than Isaac. It, it did refer to him in one sense, but not in the total sense. And then you keep going out till finally you come to the New Testament. And Paul tells us that the seed that God swore to give to Abraham was singular. Not many. It was one seed who was Christ. So even though there were many partial fulfillments of that throughout history, the the ultimate fulfillment of it came and pointed to Jesus. And so that's what we have here as we're looking at the final chapter of Daniel. Daniel. And so the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. Now, again, with Antiochus, he did not do that. Antiochus did not exalt himself above every god. He commanded the Jews to worship the gods of the Greek pantheon. So again it's not a fit even though some people want to insist that he's still the one being spoken of so he will magnify himself above every god he will say unheard of things now remember back in the 7th chapter and in the 8th chapter and and we're going to see this too in the the book of revelation one of the features of this future man of sin that we commonly call the Antichrist is his blasphemous boast against the Lord. That's one of his chief features. He is a blasphemer and he speaks arrogant things against the Lord. And so we see that here. Unheard of things against the God of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. So again, this is a unique thing. So this reference here that he will show no regard for the god of his ancestors you know, when you when you look at the book of Revelation, you know, we commonly talk about the Antichrist, singular, but the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation tells us that there are actually two beasts. There's one that rises up out of the land. Uh, there's one that rises up out of the sea, the dragon with the 10 heads and the or 12 heads and the 10 horns, whatever the number is there, I forget right now. But then there's the the beast that rises up out of the land, who looks like a lamb, but speaks like a dragon. And then as we follow that through to the end of the book of Revelation, that person becomes identified as the false prophet. And for that reason, I believe that the person that's being prophesied here, rather than being the one that we commonly think of as the Antichrist, who rises up out of the Revived Roman Empire, that this person that's being talked about here is actually rises up out of Israel. And if you look at what it says here, that sort of makes sense because it says he will show no regard for the God of his fathers or ancestors, as the NIV says.
0: the month of January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Forty Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp. For many, the new year brings with it new resolutions for change and the prospect for achieving previously unattained goals. But when the routines of life resume, resolutions rarely last beyond even the first few months of the year. The intent of becoming a better version of ourselves usually ends in failure. But if you're a Christian, you have the ultimate hope. Grace has the power to do what nothing else, not even resolutions, can do. Grace has the power to rescue you from you. Grace has the power to restore you to what God created you to be. Only God's grace has the power to produce lasting change within your life. In his book, 40 Days of Grace, Paul David Tripp provides powerful vignettes on the transforming power of God's grace. That is, the grace of God in the person of Jesus, who alone produces authentic, lasting change. This year, rather than resolutions, learn deeply about the transforming power of the grace of God. The book 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com We'd also like to remind you